The man of will breaks all boundaries. As above, so below. Magic of come to realize is a new way of seeing our own world. Something divine truly does exist. You're listening to the Culture Shock podcast with your host, Dave Oscuro. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Culture Shock Podcast. My name is Dave. I'll be your host for today. And joining me as my co-host will be my always favorite co-host. It is the person who is not only my partner in crime, um, in love, marriage, art, and life, but is also a person who's had an amazing journey and participated in incredible uh, things in her life so far, from roller derby to fire spinning to playing in bands, uh, to to her more current endeavors, such as screenwriting and being the host of the Twitch channel Coffins and Coffee. And of course, I'm speaking of my wonderful and beautiful wife, Jessica. She joined me today to talk about a great number of things, not, not only um, her journey in life, which I think is a fascinating story, but also... Uh, her unique perspective as a non-American who's recently come to America and been indoctrinated with the culture and who's able to sort of step back objectively and comment on it given that she was raised obviously in a much different environment. So I always love having those conversations with her and and, um, listening to her feedback. I think she's very wise and very balanced person. Uh, We also talk a little bit about her belief in uh, Anton LaVey's Satanism and how that's affected her life and sort of how that guides her philosophies. So I, I listen, I had a lovely time chatting with her. Of course, it's it's always wonderful when you have the ability for your partner to be um, partnering with you on a creative endeavor, as we've done today. But I hope that uh, you all take something away from this conversation, that you enjoy listening to her story, and that perhaps somewhere uh, in her perspective, we'll find some perspective that we can add to our own lives and the way that we conduct them. So without further ado, I want to welcome my guest for this episode of the Culture Shock Podcast, Jessica from the Coffins and Coffee Twitch channel. So this feels very much like a throwback already because if you remember before coffins and coffee was a twitch channel it was a short-lived podcast with the two of us and because our uh yeti microphone has passed away we just passed away just no it didn't die it just passed away (laughs) We, we we trotted out all the old mics and the interface and all that jazz and plus i think this is outside of the first couple when we were doing more of the round table this is the first time I haven't recorded off of Zoom in a long time because up until this point, all my other co-hosts have been remote. So we're, we're just a throwback episode. Yes. For those who, who are, are listening. I know this is very exciting for everyone Wee. to know all about the technical stuff behind the scenes. But uh, it's, it's apropos that we talk about sort of the origins of Coffins and Coffee because it has transformed into another entity altogether. It's completely different. <laughs> well, it's it's, a, it's your Twitch channel. So yeah, now. it's just another thing entirely. It's more stupid, and you get to see my face. Well, I don't know if it's more stupid. It's a, well, it's mean... at least equally as stupid without my my contribution to it. So <laughs> so probably less stupid actually. Um. So what? So for the okay. So I guess for me, one of the things that I see a lot is um, young folks looking to. Broadcast and, and by the way, I'm I'm all for this, but broadcast their voice in a through some sort of public medium, and Twitch right. provides that, right? Mm-hmm. So, what is it about Twitch as a format that drew you to it, and and what is Coffins and Coffee as it exists now? 
Well, basically, I guess it started just for something for me to do. Like, you know, I'd, I'd moved to America. Um, <laughs> you know, we were going through a period where we both had COVID. We were stuck in the house. We couldn't go outside. This is back when, you know, hospitals were at capacity. So it was a very dangerous time. And I was spending a lot of time sitting inside just playing video games with my sister, who's still in Australia. And it's like, well, I'm doing this already. <laughs> like, right. You know, this is something you're doing already. Why don't I slap my mug on it and <laughs> broadcast it online for other people to enjoy? Well, and I think during that time period as well, um, I was wrapping up or, or at least attempting to wrap up the Grindhouse podcast. Right. I kind of felt like the film podcast had sort of done what it was going to do. Um, and, and I'd said what I was going to be able to say. And uh, we were still trying to find our legs with coffins and coffee. Mm. And that podcast had like eight legs. <laughs> it know. had eight legs and it was spinning a web made of garbage. Well, it's really hard. It's funny <laughs> that so, so a lot, I think people sometimes think, and I see this a lot, you know, again, I, I want to inspire people to start their own media, their own, their own podcast. I think it's all groovy, but uh, it, it is not as easy as just turning some mic on and no. recording you whatever because because the whole idea behind coffee and the coffee in the beginning was to capture some of the inane conversations that you and i have naturally i was really inspired by doyle and Alyssa from arc enemy right. and they had a podcast where it's just them talking shop in the morning over cups of coffee and i was like we do that why can't we do this exactly and uh and because we were remote when we started the podcast i mean you used to put your microphone in a cup and sit at the edge of your bed. At one point, it was in a boot. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you did a shoey. Um, it was. It gave us another reason to connect. Um, but at this time that you're talking about, you know, I'm, I'm wrapping up one podcast. We're we still haven't really figured out what coffins and coffee podcast. We hadn't really found itself yet. You know, I hadn't really come into its own. And um, and I wanted to launch this podcast, albeit sort of under a different structure. Mm. And then we got. We got the we got the the COVID cooties, mm-hmm. and we were out for like a month. We gave you cooties, and that really that really was sort of the uh, end of Grindhouse and the end of Coffee and the Coffee as a podcast. And uh, I mean, they had this podcast returning and it actually transformed it completely for, right. in terms of format. But in that time, like you like you mentioned, you were playing video games, um, and in a lot of ways, whereas Coffee and Coffee the podcast was a way for you and I to do something remotely. Mm. Coffins and Coffee TV on Twitch is sort of a way for you and your sister to stay connected right. long distance, right? right? Pretty much. Like like I said, it was something we were doing already, like just to hang out. Like, And it's it can be difficult because time zones are so drastically different. But it started off as that, and then it's like, well, may as well broadcast. And she's going to be starting her own Twitch channel too, soon too. So that'll be interesting as well because we do play games together. So you'll see both sides of the coin. You get to see what I see and then you get to see what she sees as well. So that'll be pretty interesting to see how that pans out. Right, because there, as you've shown me, and as some people who know who, who frequent Twitch, um, you don't inherently see the same thing. No, no, you don't. Because it's not split screen. So you only see what I see, but you can hear her voice. Um but then, of course, when she starts her channel, we'll be broadcasting exactly the same thing, but from her perspective. So. And sometimes you get crazy glitches and weird things oh occur. Oh, my God. Yes, especially when so we play this game called Daisy. I don't know if you know it. It's like a... Imagine Call of Duty, but with zombies and you can build shit. It's pretty neat. And often she'll drive the cars because I'm terrible at it. 
and she'll be tornadoing into the sky and I'll just be sitting there going, so I don't see that glitch, only she sees that. So, so to you, it just looks like her avatar is sort of just driving. standing, like and sitting in, in the car. And in her, from her perspective, from her vantage... She's at the moon. She's in the moon. That's yeah. wild. And it's crazy because <laughs> as popular as, as these video games are, it feels like these glitches are fairly normal. Especially for console. I don't know what it is with... Like, I can understand if some glitches are just funny. Like, I'd be like, I'm leaving that. That's hilarious. But it's like when it's a glitch that renders the game practically unplayable, it's kind of annoying. Like, if you've got a console and you're playing Daisy with cars, like, you have to drive in first gear everywhere because if you're going, you know, any speed over, like, 20 miles an hour into a town, your car's going to the moon. Oh, really? Yeah. You're like, vortex into space. You become a tornado car. Is it, like, a a memory capacity thing or is it a... I think it's just when the town is trying to render in... And you're speeding into the town while the town is rendering. It just fucks the car. I don't. I don't know what. Now obviously, I don't know anything about game development or anything like that. But it seems to be mostly a problem on on console. Um, so I mean, there's there's hashtag Daisy car glitches on like TikTok and Instagram. Like it's a huge it's a huge thing that happens all the time. So so let's back up a little bit. What what is it about gaming that like when did you start playing video games like? When did you find yourself really falling in love with them? And and how has that sort of evolved over time to the point where, I guess to your point, you're, you were doing it anyway, you might as well put a camera on mm. it. But like, what, what really kind of inspired you? Because you're not just doing that. I mean, right before we started this podcast, you were editing clips for TikTok and YouTube. And, mm. all, and there's a lot of work that goes behind it. So, oh, yeah. So if we, if we could, like, take me through sort of your... Your video game fistful of change story <laughs> to where you to what leads to coffins and coffee TV now? Oh God, like I was playing video games back in like you know the late eighties, early nineties. My cousin had an Atari Woody. I had one of those. So yeah, <laughs> an Atari. <laughs> Once upon a time. Oh God, this sounds like coffins and coffee podcast all over <laughs> again. Um, penis strokes abound. Um, so, you know, that was sort of my introduction to video games. You go over to the cousin's house and you're, you know, playing, you know, like Pong and things like that on Atari. And uh, the first console I owned was the original Nintendo. Mm. And then we got a Super Nintendo. And then we got an Xbox and an Xbox 360. And then I had a original PlayStation. And then I had PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4. So I've owned a lot of consoles in my time. Like That's- I've got... Like four handheld consoles. Like. I was gonna say, yeah. There's also the, the the switches. Yeah, I had a DS Lite, a DS, a 3DS. I had a 3DS XL. I've got a new 3DS, and did I say the Switch already? I've got the Switch as well. So it's like, goddamn it. <laughs> so so then, like, you you're playing video games, and and as I recall it, what really sort of started this off was we were all playing, or we were taking turns playing. Um, the Friday the 13th game. Right. That is so sad that game has gone to the shitter because that was so fun. What what happened to it? They just stopped developing it. Now they've like gotten rid of all like their dedicated servers and it's, it, the game's just died. Like I did try to log into it about a week ago and I could get in and I got into a lobby. So I mean that might be a future, a future Twitch stream that I do just to see if that game is still terrible. It was terribly glitchy. Like it was, I don't know, I just don't think... They had the money behind it, and there was that whole Friday the 13th lawsuit with, you know, people owning 
the image and and the rights and then other people owned what do they own like the yeah the so, story and yeah for, so for those who don't know if you're a horror fan there's a lawsuit going on i don't remember the i i will probably butcher the the parties uh involved his name it's victor something and sean cunningham i think but basically one of them is the writer of the original friday the 13th and he believes that the rights have reverted back to him and there's the director slash production company that produced and directed right. the first Friday the 13th who believe that they own the copyright. And um, it's really wonky because generally speaking, even if the rights of the script had reverted to the writer, that should only encompass what's in that script. So Right, not the image. Right. So the image of Jason Voorhees as we know it now with the hockey mask, that didn't come until... Uh, Friday Thirteenth Three, mm. even in the second movie when he's grown, he's got the the, the knapsack That's with right. the hole. Yeah. So um, it's a very complex case, and unfortunately, sort of in the crosshairs of that is this what was a really fun video game, which is, creates essentially like a map, right? And you've yeah. got you've got one person who plays the killer, and then you have a bunch uh, up to what four I think or five? it was four or five. It might have even been more than that, you know. I, I think it was four or five, and then basically. You've got to go around and try and salvage for parts for this car to escape the map. You can escape on foot, but I'm, I can't remember. There's something weird about that too, but it's been so long since I've played it. But yeah, essentially the idea is to escape the map and don't let him kill you. Um, yeah, it was a fun game. It's just really, really sad that, that these legal battles have just totally screwed it for everybody, I guess. And then, And then sort of in the void of that video game, sort of arose Dead by Dawn. Dead by Daylight. Dead by Daylight, excuse me. Dead by Dawn, I think, is the tagline for uh, Evil Dead 2. <laughs> uh, Dead by Daylight, which which in very in a lot of ways is very similar. It's almost a carbon copy, except for instead of salvaging car parts, you're repairing generators and cleansing totems. Like, it's it's a very, very similar. Smaller map, though, right? Ah, uh, there's more maps. But there's but the, the, the maps themselves, the um, sort of the gameplay area in my... To me, feels more contained, almost yeah, like some um, of them are. Yeah, it almost feels a bit like. Have you have you ever played uh, like paintball or laser tag? Yeah, yeah you're right. It, it feels like that sort of. Yeah, it feels area. like you're you're in a cage with a with a, a predator, an apex predator. Yes. And um, um, be it the scream, uh, you know, Ghostface or Freddy Krueger. Well, yeah. All the all the remake ones De- too. Oh, there's like Demogorgons from um, Stranger Things. There's um, who else is there? You got um. Michael Myers, all that sort of stuff. They just did one with Nemesis from Resident Evil. So they've got a lot of different franchises under their belt. I know there's something new coming as well, but I'm not sure what it is. I'm not privy to that information yet. So I, you know, I think, like I've mentioned before, there's a, there's a lot of people, and I see this just off the line, who think that creating a podcast or creating a Twitch channel or a YouTube channel is just like, you know, a, a quick and easy way to make money, you know, um, and the reality of it is, is it's it's a lot of hard work. I mm. mean, as as you should understand, like it is, it is uh, any endeavor, any media endeavor takes lots of hours and planning and time off screen, right? Right. So, like, what what are some of the things that people might not know when it comes to starting a Twitch channel? Like, what are, what are some of the things you've learned in the last four or five months that you've been doing this so far? So. I stream directly from my console because I don't own a gaming computer, which in and of itself raises a whole plethora of issues. So, you know, you see Twitch streamers that have 
fancy overlays and they have like subscription alerts that pop up with fun sounds and gifts when people subscribe or things like that i can't have that because apparently my three-year-old laptop is too old to run a capture card <laughs> so i can't run obs or any of those other streaming programs i have to go straight from my console so i don't have any of the fancy shit <laughs> this is like bare bones streaming you know what i'm saying um and there is a lot of work that goes into streaming people don't realize that like I stream five days a week normally up until you were in hospital and stuff, yeah. so I haven't streamed in about a week, but normally I'll stream five days a week, okay? So you get two days off. On top of streaming five days a week, you're streaming for three or four or five hours, right. depending, like streaming up to six hours. So that's a large chunk of your day gone. And then you've got to get ready for your stream. I'm not about looking like a hobo on my stream, so I've got to put makeup and stuff on, you know what I'm saying? Which then, that's another hour. Then when you finish the stream, you go to download the stream, edit the stream, split it up into... You know, TikToks and YouTube videos and all that sort of stuff. And then you've got to cross-promote your stream. So you've got to go on the Twitter and the Instagram and the Facebook and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's a job. Like, if you want to be successful at Twitch, not that I'm a big Twitch streamer by any means, but, you know, even at this level, it's a lot of work. So I would imagine if you want to be a large Twitch streamer, that has to be your job. Well, and I, as you know, used to work for a production company that simultaneously uh, managed a lot of, YouTube influencers, right. Vine influencers back then, and things of that nature. Logan Paul's. Oh, and, remember Vine? Yeah, Vine was barely. So good. Um, and and again, just just like with everything that you're saying, every huge YouTuber influencer that I knew, you know, Tabuscus or Epic Meal Time mm. or um, any of those, you know, Logan Paul, all those folks put a lot of mm. effort and time into their channel. Right. And um, it is not simply a matter of one does not simply walk into Twitch, yes. right? You, you, it's a lot of work involved and um, that's on top of any marketing that you try to do or promotion or right. like you said, you're sort of an up and coming channel, but you've, you've seen some real growth in a short amount of time mm. and you're, you're putting in the work like it was any brick and mortar business yeah. in order to build it and to find success in it. And I think a lot of folks, and I see this like in the occult sphere a lot, right? Or really any sphere, horror sphere, wrestling sphere. Everyone just thinks it's a matter of popping on a microphone and all of a sudden you know how to do this and you're going to get a lot of money. Right. I mean, I've, I've been doing podcasting now probably like four years maybe. Mm. Um, and I've ne you know, obviously this is something I do for fun. So it's nothing I've ever tried to monetize. But even in that, you know, it's extremely hard to build a following and it's extremely hard to keep people interested because what I've found and I'm sure you'll find as well a lot of times the folks that that support your art aren't going to be your friends for very long I mean right. your friends might initially help you out and check in but at a certain point there just sort of seems to be this natural instinct for the, your close friends the people who know you outside of the online world right to be busy with their own lives yeah. and, and what you end up finding to replace those are the people who know you through your work that's right. solely and and find something that they relate to in it yeah exactly yeah now now with everything that you've learned with your twitch streaming and and as it's going right now you as you've noted you sort of lean into horror as the kind of games you've played mm -hmm. is that is that aside from the fact that this sort of all sort of blossomed from the friday the 13th game or is there have you always been drawn towards horror games or is it just because it's something that you found that people resonate with. 
Um, it's I mean it's a little bit of both. Um, I mean I've always enjoyed. I mean if I'm look, I can see my game shelf from here. A lot of those games are horror games. Um, and if they're not horror games, they're JRPG games. So it's like role playing fantasy sort of games, like Final Fantasy and and things like that. Or what else have I got there? Devil May Cry. So you know I've always played that style of stuff. I mean I love Pokemon though. Oh my god. Oh <laughs> what if they made like a horror Pokemon? Oh my god, Horrorman. What if? <laughs> What if they made like a Dead by Daylight, but um, you played you played uh, the pokey characters, and, <laughs> pokey characters, yeah, ah! like the little like the little honey badger, the little yellow honey badger guy, and and like what chases you are the little the little giblets that you have to capture with your ball. They're the same thing. No, I know, but one's a good guy, one's a bad guy, right? No. Like, that's why you kind of capture all the bad guys with no, your ball. No, you capture them because you're going to save them from Team Rocket. You want to be the very best like no one ever this, was. This sounds like some SeaWorld shit. Like, putting them in this little ball. they got no room <laughs> to move around. Some of those pokies are big. Space is relevant, man. I like, guess. Inside it could be the like, Pokeball might be giant. You're right. It might be like the TARDIS. Yes. Like Doctor Who. It might yes. just be much yes. larger on the inside. Um... <laughs> So the reason I brought that up with the horror <laughs> is because not only do you do the Twitch streaming, mm. which, again, in just a few short months, really since, I guess, we moved here, right? I mean, I think, did we did you stream in the old apartment? I don't remember. I just started when we moved here. Yeah, okay. So, like, we've only been here since the beginning of February. Yeah. So just in a, f- a few short months, you've been able to amass a little small cult following, yeah. and it's growing, right? And like you said, there's some technological things that we'll have to overcome yeah. and upgrade and things of that nature. Um, much like this podcast operating off of my old gear <laughs> because my new gear broke. And what's funny is that ever since I busted, I haven't used this mic since, well, since you bought the, uh, the, the Yeti. Yeti. And when I went to Texas, I took this mic and I, we did a, before I got sick, we did the podcast with producer Rob and I immediately had technical issues, which I've not had since I switched to the Yeti, right? The moment I bring these old haunted mics back, yes. I start having technical issues They're again. They're haunted, for sure. But aside from the work that you've done in the sort of short amount of time that you've been doing this Twitch channel, that in and of itself, while it is a job, it's sort of, sort of, sort of like a side hustle, I guess, mm. because what your main aspiration is is screenwriting. Right. So, and and I because of I mentioned the horror, like you do sort of have a, um, a natural instinct to live in that sort of dark thriller horror space right so exactly what has that progress process been for you because for those who don't know immigration is very difficult and um even though jess and i got married uh, back in october legally um th- we're still in the thick of trying to get her uh, a work visa so none of these things that you're doing you can actually get paid for no. right now no, they're passion projects right now <laughs> but it's good in a lot of ways because it allows you the time to develop it slowly mm. figure out what doesn't work figure out what games work what nights work mm-hmm. i mean i remember um when, especially when you were more heavily into day, dead by daylight you were recording a lot of uh a lot of time in the daytime because of the servers how long it took to get on the servers yes whereas now you tend to around five o'clock yeah. pacific standard time is typically when you tend to get online right. and you'll, you'll play till 11 or 12 or whatever it may be um but but not having to focus on making money, I feel like, does allow you that time to sort of discover yourself. Right, exactly. And it takes the pressure off, too, because I'm not, like, focusing on numbers. I'm not focusing on how long I've been playing for. Like, I'm not 
you know i mean it's great when people pop into chat but i mean you know that i'm not that's not my focus i'm focusing on having fun and it does help to have someone else with me to play like my sister because you do have someone to just bounce off and converse with and talk shit for you know three four five six hours rather than just staring at an empty chat box if there's no one there because it does happen i mean there are certain days especially now it's coming into summer the chat box sometimes you might have like you know three four five regulars pop in and they have a bit of a chin wag and then it's like well i'm going to the beach now like right. or i'm going back to work because we're not working from home anymore or like i used to have like one follower that was working from home um he would sit on chat for hours because he was working from home so he would be like oh i'll be back in a sec and he was like sorry i had to do a zoom meeting that could have been an email like you know so i think it's everything is slowing down and it is happening on a lot of people's channels too because people just aren't at home as much they don't have time so you know it's a thing but i can balance that out with you know the ten thousand other hobbies that i have well and, and, <laughs> and that's what i was going to say obviously you're also as you mentioned working on screenwriting and you, mm-hmm. and you have a proclivity towards dark thriller horror stories right so with twitch streaming it feels like even when you have a limited chat box it does still feel like it can be somewhat of a social oh definitely but with yeah. writing it's that's very solitary so yes. what is that process like for you and kind of what inspired you to start undertaking that and developing your skills now while you have sort of you you functionally cannot work for a living you have to, you're able to use this time hmm. to develop some skills and passions that that maybe you'd always wanted to but again as is the case with most people we never get the luxury of the time to spend on it right exactly and i think that that actually makes it a lot easier to write in some aspects because i don't have deadlines i don't have people looking over my back asking for you know rewrites or or things like that it can just sort of do everything at my own pace like the series i'm working on right now like i'm only five episodes in and i've been what working on it for a year more or less yeah yeah you know like in in real film world that's just not something that could happen like they'd be like you're five episodes in you've been doing this for a year that's crap like you can't do that so it's really given me an opportunity to flush characters and situations out that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do if I was in a real film world. I'm in unemployed world now, so I'm sort of running on my own time, which is nice. But you have worked on film. We've worked on films together. Yes. And did that, I mean, obviously it's from those experiences, you you really started throwing yourself into mm-hmm. developing and learning the craft of screenwriting. But was there anything about those experiences that, was shocking to you or disillusioning to you or was it all super exciting i mean working on film set yeah um uh i was probably very mostly very shocked at how unorganized people can be welcome to america on a film set welcome to america um and it's funny because i have heard that from a lot of people in a lot of industries about america in general i don't know what it is um but I, I work in a very, like, logical, linear way. Like, I, I work on things like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, whereas, like, on a film set, it's like A, 7, magnet, fridge. <laughs> like, everything yeah. doesn't really seem to work out properly or someone will come to you with a problem. It's like, why? Like, did you think about this question before you came and asked me? Like, people go panic mode, I think, is... is you know for the most part it's like oh the world is burning down it's like bro take a breath like it's fine (laughs) yeah and and i think and we've talked about this privately like the the difference between the way people respond to things in australia as a a general mood that you know or or sort of Mm. uh should be right mate yeah balance of character versus in america where 
um, by our nature and, and the way the politics, media, and all the other things, social media play a part in developing our personalities, we're far more high-strung mm. and argumentative and confrontational, I think. Definitely. So I'm sure some of that might have been what you were experiencing on set mm-hmm. because um, one of the things that I feel like people often don't understand about film, and it's, it's always something that sort of grinds my gears, is <laughs> that it is not a glamorous uh, industry to work in. No. You know, for I've, I've been doing this for 13 years, and, you know, I won an award. I won a streamy for a documentary that I produced mm. with zero help from the production company. Right. No money. And I never got the statue. I would, I could have gotten the statue. I would have had to pay for it. It's, like it's six, so ridiculous. Yeah. So that's another little tidbit. If you, want, if you win an award, you have to pay for the award. It's like 600 bucks. That's ridiculous. And what's hilarious is the guy who had, who was the president of the company, he got himself an award. And uh, the other guy, this other guy who did jack shit with the film, he sold it way later. Mm. But, like, I made the thing for 75K, so it's not like his job was that hard to make yeah. its money back. I think he doubled it, which is still pretty pathetic. But the guy who, you know, who, who basically just lobbied up this almost entirely free um, documentary, he got himself an award. But the guy who was actually in, you know, New Jersey, in the <laughs> sticks, for seven days... You know, doing a documentary, this person had to, I mean, I guess I could have bought it, but it would have looked nice on that mantle. But yeah, it one, one of these days, I want to, I want I might see if I can go back and be like, fuck it, man, I'll buy it. Why not? I earned it. <laughs> um, but did, did that, I mean, obviously that didn't, that, even though there, yes, there's a lot of chaos and disorganization and it's not glamorous, it doesn't seem like that turned you off to it, quite the opposite. I mean, maybe turned you off production. No. I, <laughs> I mean, not necessarily like, I'm a freak in the sense that, like organization gets me off man like for real like i love order i love paperwork i love to get things done and then i like to see the fruit of my labor afterwards i just spent a day and a half organizing everything in my pantry in containers and it was a time it was great well i think i have new motivation (laughs) for cleaning my closet now (laughs) but um like you know and i'm used to working in high stress environments i used to work in finance like that's stressful very stressful so you know i think it's just something like i'm kind of used to and, and i've come to to see that like and i mean you know this is just from my personal experience but you see all these kids come out of film school and they they jump get somehow get thrown into the deep end of like a film production and they flail because yeah. they don't know how to deal with stress they're trained when you go to you know film school and stuff like that you know you're you know, you're shown what to do with $10 million sure, yeah. or $20 million, but then you go try and produce an indie and you can't afford that camera. You can't afford those stunts. You can't afford that location, you know? So they dip it and lose their shit because they don't know what they're doing. What do you mean we don't have 10 transpo people? What do you mean right. we don't have, you know, this much money to spend on catering? We're all eating bloody red vines, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like. Well, I think... I think... I think because mu- movies, and I, maybe this is a pro- this is this applies to music as well, but because movies are so embedded in the bedrock of our society mm. that people feel a familiarity with them, and then they conflate that with feeling like they understand how things work. Yes, which is not the same thing. Yeah. and I feel like what happens. What I mean, look, there have been filmmakers and people we know who would echo your statements. 100%. I actually think it's a fairly mature perspective to have. And what I find is that it's it's bigger than film. It's sort of a 
the how it how it operates and how it occurs in film is sort of a a microcosm of what's happening in the larger world mm. and I think that speaks to American society at least which is that when I was coming up when I was a young grommet I remember being told don't say that you're flying a 747 when you're barely at the level right. of flying a Cessna uh, for those of you who aren't big plane aficionados a Cessna is a very tiny like turbine engine yep. plane and a 747 is obviously very quite bigger um, what happens is that folks get into film because they think that it's all artistic, which it's not. Some of it is. Especially not in production. It's especially not in production. I mean, it is, but uh, but more like in the way that a general might be. Not in the way that you think. Yeah, yeah. More <laughs> like in the way that, like, like, like you know, uh, Ulysses S. Grant would have strategized about taking, you know, taking out General Lee and, and less about, um, you know, some RD commune where everyone just throws ideas against the wall right. and all that. It's not that. It's very, it's very structural. And which is maybe why you thrived in it. But what happens is that people don't understand that and they get drawn into it because it's, again, mm. film, films and, and cinema are so embedded in our lives that, they, that they, they come in with the wrong perspective and attitude. And, and, and much like we talked about with Twitch, they oftentimes want to just be famous or, or uh, respected yeah. or uh, carry a label right out the gate without having first put in the time right. and learn their craft. And and much like film, if that's the reason that you're doing it, just go away. Like, don't. Because you're not doing it for the right reasons. You're not doing it because you love it. I, like, right now, I am not allowed to make money. So, me doing Twitch is because I enjoy it. I think it's fun. Like, I'm not in it to make money. If you're just going into it with the idea of this is a just purely a job, I want to be famous and make bank like realistically the amount of people that make that much money on twitch is not a lot like twitch takes like i think it's like 50 percent of your oh, subscriptions really wow. yeah they take a large portion and stuff like you can get um like donations sponsors you can get donations and stuff but like twitch takes a big cut like if you think you're gonna make be making millions of dollars on twitch the likelihood of that is very low like do it because you love it well that, that's like, why i always find it really amusing when when certain subsects of culture try to uh, accomplish something through uh, Twitch channels and YouTubes and Instagram followers and Twitter followers mm. and hashtags that they can get to go viral and and it, it is an avenue to feed the ego and to build a certain level of fabricated clout but as you noted those people aren't making politely for the most part are not making an, an incredible amount of money no. which is not to say that money is everything but, but to some people it is. But if you're certain, like I, I have long since held that I have no desire to be famous. I think fame is a terrible albatross that gets thrown over people's mm -hmm. necks and drags them down into into deep waters, um, often of abuse and despair and self doubt and all these things. It's terrible. But if you're gonna be famous, you would certainly like to get some resources out of it so that you can have a better life. Yeah. Right. Like I can't. I couldn't possibly imagine being quasi famous on Twitter. And then still, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be classist, but like for a long time in my career, I struggled to make ends meet. I mean, probably at least the first four years. Like hmm. I remember my first year in film, the, my last year working in retail management, I was making a, a pretty good living for the time in Texas. And then for the next four years, starting with the first year I worked in film, I was, I was in deep poverty level. So I can't possibly imagine people who, who garner some sort of online clout, but then they're still working their shit 
you know, mm, minimum I, wage jobs, struggling to make ends meet, and then putting all this effort into something that that doesn't inherently satisfy them creatively. It's it's for this this sort of sense of reinforcement that's that's imaginary. Right. Like I even remember, like you've been in film what ten years now. Thirteen. Thirteen years I now. I think I started in two thousand eight. Okay, so when we met, you'd been in film nearly ten years. Yeah, a little and over, I think. You had no fucking money. Oh yeah. When we met, you were broke. This this guy <laughs> spent like the last of his money taking me to Disneyland. No, Universal Studios. I think Universal for your birthday on my birthday. A week uh, after we met. A week after we two, met. Maybe maybe because uh, you were here. How long were you here? Two year, two weeks. Two two weeks. Two and a half right, weeks. So it might have been more like a week and a half in. Yeah. But. No, yeah, so and that's the thing. That's he was all... broke. He had no money. No. And like, I think even after I left to come back, go back to Australia, you didn't get Cat and June till... Uh, right after, actually. I lucked out. Yeah, so for, so for those who... That's another thing. Like, again, you know, first four years, I was dirt broke. Then I worked for that uh, production company. Oh, well, I got on a, a, a Cartoon Network show, and then, then I got hired in-house. And then so for like six years, hmm. I had very stable income. I was... Um, it had insurance and stable income, and it wasn't amazing income for Los Angeles purposes, but it was, but it was more than my parents made. Right. You know, even at even you know from the transit, you know, from the beginning to the end, like I definitely was making more than my parents ever made in their life, and uh, paying way more rent too. But, but then, the, then this is also the nature of Twitch and mm-hmm. YouTube and and filmmaking. You know, I got laid off because the company was restructuring, and they're idiots anyway. And unsafe. We won't name who they are. But. No, but but I was then down to my and I'd gone through. A, I was in the process of a divorce, and so I was pretty flat on my ass. And and having to start over um, three years ago. Now yeah. in those three years, I've I found that I make way more money being independent mm-hmm. than I did working in house. But that took time, yeah. luck, support, the the prior ten years I'd put in. Yeah, exactly. To learning my craft, right. And, I, and it's the same with any online yeah. endeavor. If you want to be successful at something, whatever your definition of success is, me it because you impacted someone's life or because you make money from it or because whatever, just you have to understand that this freelance world is a series of ups and downs and you have to prepare. Like last year, I probably won't make what I made last year this year. It depends on if I take another series by the end of the year. Right. But I'm doing fine. Yeah. But... You know, if you had two or three or four years of not of that continual downs, you know, down right. um, trend, yeah, you 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 know, you might find yourself in that situation again. And it's very, it's just a thing that I wish I could impart upon folks who are trying to be young creators. Try to find the passion in it and leave the fame and the clout chasing and the recognition mm. in the rear view because that won't pay your bills. Right. But being passionate and learning your craft will eventually. Right. Like I've got like what three IMDb credits now under my belt. At least two. What's it's the third? It's three. Acceleration. Jude's one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, we like to talk about that. Is that? Yeah, Shark. Oh, it's a thing now. So that's that's Shark Island. So that's three IMDb credits, and I've made no money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. Yeah. You know, it's a thing, and and they're like. Let's just let's talk about my first experience in film. We won't talk about we won't mention what it is because I don't, it's not released yet, is it? I don't know. I don't know what's it's happening. It's a short film. It. It's a short. But um basically it consisted of a lot of corn, <laughs> a lot of dirt, broken toilets, irrigation systems being run over by pass vans. That was my fault. That was your fault. Um 
Don't put me behind the wheel of a truck. I am a producer. I am not a teamster. It always goes wrong. <laughs> right. So, you know, and then there's, you know, that, that film was, you know, waking waking up at, what, five in the morning, yeah, being on set least. till seven o'clock at night, or even later than that, because we had to do pack down. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you'd be there till like eight or nine p.m. And then we go and have to do a trip to Walmart and then to buy stuff for the next day because it's very low budget and we had no money for catering. So we had to cater it ourselves. We had to go to Walmart, buy all the food or and Denny's. all the water. Or fucking fuck Denny's. Um, <laughs> also fuck Olive Garden. Um, to be at our, I don't remember. We did anyway, have Olive Garden. That's... They don't understand Australian accents on the phone apparently because remember I was on the phone to them for oh, like yeah, two hours yeah. that day. Um it's not glamorous, man. Like, I had to wear, like, a scarf over my face because there was so much dust. Like, it's it's not, you know, it's not glamorous. And even, like, my the second film that we worked on, which was a feature, which is Acceleration, um, that was, you know, you go on set at 6 a.m. You're not leaving until 8 or 9 p.m. Yeah. Like, you know, you're dealing with people that have ripped up laminate off the floors in, like, a fucking... <laughs> 25 million dollar house and you've got to try and fucking fix that like you know what else have they broke a bloody van they broke that um trailer do we break a trailer yeah something happened with the trailer got broken i know the toilet got broken yeah i don't know someone reversed into a fence oh no one of our drivers did hit a uh, off duty he hit a telephone pole yeah it's it's hard work i mean at the end at the end of it it's all it's a it's a bunch of catastrophe it's not glamorous that you have to sort of find some sense of order behind yep. to get it into the can to get it completed mm. and then if you're lucky you you produce something or you, you work on something or you're part of something that is that is evergreen and it and it has a, a you know life beyond yours mm. um but sometimes you work on shit i mean there's a lot of stuff i've produced that i've never gone back to watch it's just not my cup of tea not that there was mm. an effort behind it but as you noted there's just all for for you know, you know upwards to 10 weeks to, to six months, uh, all I'm and you, by your experience, are dealing with is all these crazy things, which is not to say there's not fun stuff too, but you're oh, dealing yeah. with all the pressures of, of everything that can go wrong. And at the end of it, it's real hard to then sit down and pop some popcorn and watch it without just immediately imagining every every frame mm. where there was a catastrophe just off screen to the left. These are the sort of realities that mm. one has to face if you want to work in a creative field um a few episodes we had jackson and she was talking about her experience as a director and it's the same thing it's just all these very non-glamorous very frustrating very non-creative issues that you have to be creative Mm. in your execution of overcoming yeah in order for any final product which is why i was getting really irritated when i hear people talk about like lazy writing or lazy filmmaking. Oh my god, let me fucking... I can't even no, there's, begin on that. There's bad filmmaking, and there's bad writing, or lackluster, or mediocre, mediocre, whatever it may be, but, I mean, it's just so much hard work for it ever to yep. be considered lazy, which is why film critics in particular, and, and, and dorks on Twitter who talk about film like they've done it before, yep. drives me up the wall, because yep. it's so much physical exhaustion. Yeah, writing is hard. Writing is not something that's just easy like even learning to use writing programs is annoying like trying to learn script writing programs like you can't just like you know i didn't have anyone to show me how to to do that like because i was living in a completely different country to you as far away as i could have been um so that's something that i had to learn myself writing there's no such thing as lazy writing 
You can be a bad writer. Sure, yeah. Um, you can no- not know how to stitch things together. But I think lazy writing is a bit of a stretch. Like, writing for a film especially, like, a lot of people don't realize, like, you don't just write a script and hand it off to Netflix and go, here you go, here's my script. And they're like, wonderful, here is many money. Go and <laughs> live your life. We'll take care of the rest. Like, it's not, it isn't that. Like, I've gone, I mean, one short that I wrote that was going to go into production that sort of died because of COVID, I did, and that's a short, that is a 30-minute short, and I did, um, you know, at the director's, you know, yes. advice, uh, I did, I think it was something like six rewrites or seven rewrites of that script. Yeah. Like, and that's actually not that many, truly. You I know? Mean, you know, again, but for a short, but yeah. I mean, for a feature, you could be doing, yeah. I mean, that we I'll have I have some other writers on, on the podcast at some point, but there's a lot of labor that goes behind it. I have a mm-hmm. buddy who who's carved out a career for himself um, making scripts that never get produced. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. You know? Uh, and those are things that people I don't always know are keen on, which is why I just, I, I get uh, probably particularly miffed when I see folks who have never done it before. I, I, if you, let me put it this way, and I, I'm sure you can relate to this and understand this. When you take the, 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 the leap of faith to try something that makes you vulnerable, mm. okay, Filmmaking makes you vulnerable, right? It, it's, yeah. Certainly, if you're in the creative position, but even even if you're a rank and file crew member, if you're a grip, if you're a PA, mm-hmm. like it, it, it exposes you. Yeah, if you fuck up, someone's gonna know. Yeah, and not only that, there's the phys- there's the heat, there's the physical elements, there's the hours, mm-hmm. there's the stress, there's all this stuff. When you or like or like you know, we last night we watched the fight, so right now on the background we have um, the the Euro final, which is one one Italy and England. Um, <laughs> when you strive for greatness and then you fail it it always has driven me kind of up the wall when people who sit on their couch sit on the sidelines and have never put that level of effort or of their own their own vulnerableness into something that they believe in they sit there and they just criticize them because it doesn't hit their standard it wasn't how they would do it and yet then yet they never get off and make that attempt themselves like last night, a fighter got his leg broken, and everyone's taking the piss out of him today. It's like, if you've never made that march down that cage, mm. or if you've never done proper training, or if you've never gone through excruciating physical pain, yeah. you don't know. You don't know. And, at, you know, look, whether you like certain people, or you like certain movies, or you like certain directors, or writers, whatever it may be, the, the, your personal feelings aside, there should be a level of respect that's granted for those who, who not just, uh, like you mentioned earlier, they get out of film school or they're on they're semi popular on Twitter and they bought half their followers and they think that suddenly they're someone important. But mm. actually what I mean is like people who have put the time in to learn the craft, mm. whatever their craft may be, who have put those hours in and I blood, sweat and tears is often overused, but it is some to some degree oh, yeah. there is a literal especially within filmmaking, you definitely yeah. will put those elements into your work. So that, to have that not respected at yeah. for ver- at very least because of that effort. Um, I just I just find it to be just the, the lowest level of, of nonsense, and yeah. um, I have no I have no patience for it. Right, and it's it's not just blood, sweat, and tears. It's like it's blood, sweat, tears, and heart. Yeah, like the like I have and will always always left like a piece of myself in everything that I write. Like there is in every script I've ever written, there is like a piece of me in there. Whether it's something that's like 
happened to me or a person that was important to me or not important to me like in my life there's always a piece of that in there and if someone were to come in and critique and tell me that's dog shit like that's fucking horrible like you know excuse my French but like that's that's got to be heartbreaking like especially with something that you've worked on for you know possibly years and then some neckbeard sitting in their mum's basement is going to come in and go oh I would have done that differently and so uh, would you? Yeah. How about you do it then? No, yeah. you're not going to. You're going to sit there behind your computer and mash keyboards with your Dorito fingers. Get wrecked. I, I, I definitely <laughs> feel like um, people should be, I, again, I just, just understand that there's a lot of effort that goes into these things that you see on television or in the cinema that that you oftentimes, even if you have a cursory knowledge of, it, it, it's totally different. And you really, people who work on film sets, they sacrifice mm-hmm. so much of their life um, their personal life, their personal time, their personal health. The That's reason I, exhausting. Yeah, like, and listen, the reason I stopped ADing is because I read a stat somewhere that said most ADs die around 55. Yeah. You know, and I just turned 40. I'd like to put in another 40 years if yeah. I can. Well, even like that, the low-budget feature, I mean, relatively low-budget feature that we did, um, we oh, were... Oh, that was low-budget. Yeah. <laughs> um, all, all the budget went into the cast, but anyway. Um we were averaging, what, three hours sleep a night for like two weeks? Yeah, maybe. I mean, look, as, as those who follow me on Twitter know, I, I'm currently on The Mend. This is the reason why there wasn't a podcast last week. On The Mend from Kidney Stones, which mm-hmm. they've told me is something that develops likely over years. Mm-hmm. So I, I have no, no illusion that my work in film, between the copious amounts of coffee, the not enough water, the being out in the sun the stress, mm-hmm. all those things I'm sure have contributed to those forming. Whether or not there's a, a genetic uh, possibility of that happening anyway, my, you give a lot of yourself to any endeavor that you're right. passionate about, or at least you should, and then success will find you, right? Right. At the end, whatever, whatever form that presents itself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So to me, to, to, to endeavor something great, like be it uh, Twitch or filmmaking or both or, or basket weaving or fighting or soccer, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, you have to have, in my opinion and in my experience, witnessing those who make it or not, there's a certain mindset, there's a certain uh, moral code or philosophy that one sort of must live by to sort of be able to shoulder the burden of the pressure, right? right. And... I bring this up because you have a very large tattoo on your leg <laughs> of Anton LaVey. Right. Um, you, uh, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but you would probably likely consider yourself a Satanist of sorts, right? Mm. Uh, of the LaVeyan uh, persuasion, yeah. uh, not the Temple of Satan. So what what is about what is about what Anton LaVey taught that appealed to you? When did it appeal to you? And then at what point did you say... This is something, even symbolically, even if you don't agree with everything, this is something symbolically that defines me uh, and my character, and I want to uh, immortalize it. Um, I think it's it was mostly the idea of that things never or rarely, you know, there are exceptions, but your life doesn't happen to you, mm. right? Your life is something that for a decent chunk of it, like, you are the master of your own destiny. Obviously, you can't, in a lot of instances, prevent car accidents or illness or things like that. But for for the most part, you're you're the master of your own destiny. And I think that's where I have a particular distaste for certain 
Christian religions um, in the sense that your fate is in the hands of somebody else. Like, that's bullshit. Like, I'm not going to let someone take the wheel of my car. You know what I'm saying? Like Right. And, and I, do, I, I do think that people oftentimes get confused with when it comes to like the Abrahamic religions and particularly uh, Christianity and Catholicism, which I'm more familiar with, mm-hmm. in that they, like the, that phrase that you mentioned, like when, when people say like, Jesus take the wheel, right? I don't, what they're, what they don't, what they're not supposed to mean, though I do think a lot of people do mean this, mm. is they're not supposed to mean, I'm going to let someone else decide for me right. and sit back like mm-hmm. I'm in an Uber, right? Yeah. This, Jesus is not providing Uber services, to my knowledge, other times are tough. It's more that your faith and the morals that you've accumulated over time and, right. the, and, the, and the practices and the ritual and whatever it may be, those things should carry you through the hard times. Yes. There's, a, there's a famous painting that every Christian family has where it's a it's a footsteps in the beach. Have you oh, ever seen yes, that one? Oh, yes, I know that one, yes. I actually love it. It's like there's, there's single footsteps and the man's like, uh, why uh, why was I walking? Why were there single footsteps, right? I thought you said you were going to be by my side the whole time. And then Jesus replies, when you saw the single footstep, it's when I was carrying you. Yeah. And and again, I am also not a Christian. I'm a ceremony magician. But for me, who's been for the last two weeks going through immense pain, mm. the having the tools and the ability to, to take my practice and 100% focus it on the area in my body that was mm. in excruciating pain and breathe energy into it and breathe out pain and it's, look I'm not saying that was the only thing I did I certainly took medication and and used cannabis liberally as well but it was it, it was I can't imagine getting through that and, and the same thing when I had COVID I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine getting through that without having that in my back pocket that I could use at, at any time right. I didn't have to wait eight hours for my next medication time I could at any moment breathe in energy into me and then hopefully breathe out pain and the reduction of mm. uh, the stone in me and what have you, um, but but for a lot of mainstream religion, I think that the average person hasn't really indoctrinated themselves with what the actual message is supposed right. to be, and they like you like you noted they sort of they sort of put their hands up, the sort of a victimization, and say, well, Jesus would deal with it, I'm not going to deal with yeah. it. Yeah, it's sort of like that that old. I think we were talking about this the other day, that old story where the person stranded at sea, and it's in their house. Are you talking about the flood? Oh, no, you're right. It's the flood. So they're in their house and, and someone comes by on a boat's flooded. They're sitting on the roof of their house just waiting. The flood waters are rising and someone comes past in a little boat and they're like, oh, do you need do you need help? And it's like, no, I have faith that, that you know, Jesus will come and save me. And another guy comes past and in his little boat and it's like, do you want us to take you? We'll get you. Come on. And he's like, no, no, it's okay. I have faith. My God will come. I'll be saved. It's fine. And eventually the man drowns, he dies, and he goes up to heaven. And it's like, I, I thought you you would come and save me. It's like, I sent two boats. What do you want? Like, yeah. you know what I was saying? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's, it, part of it is you. Like, you need to take the wheel, so to speak. Well, like, that's, that's that's exactly it. There is, um, uh, while, while, while LeVay's Satanism and, and, you know, ceremonial magic would have some intersection there's also some differences but i think one of those intersections is is sort of being the being either your own god mm-hmm. in this more secular yes. perspective or recognizing that you are god mm. because we are all god we are all right. one thing yes. right either which way you should still be taking accountability for at minimum how you react to things how you respond to things and how you 
allow those things to impact your life. Right, exactly right. Like it's, you know, to quote a, I mean, it sounds like cheesy or whatever. It's like, do no harm, but take no shit. Right. Like that's, I mean, that sort of resonates with me as well. And that's what I've found a lot of it. I tend to, it sounds like strange, but I, there are certain things that I will pick and choose from like Satanic Temple, from like Levian Satanism, from that sort of stuff. So, and that's, it's basically for me, just like a way I choose to live my life. Like I'm not going to do wrong by other people. I'm not going to lie, cheat and steal, you know, but someone comes into my house. But Eddie Guerrero would. <laughs> Eddie Guerrero would 100% <laughs> lie, cheat and steal. <laughs> Latino heat, rest in peace. Oh my God. But you know, if someone comes into my house, I'm going to throw down, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, I think it, it, it's, it's it, again, it's, it's a lot, like a lot of religions, a lot of it's, and I don't like to call it a religion. So it's a lot of, like a lot of other systems of belief, it's open to interpretation. It's like we were talking about when people interpret the Bible literally, when it's literally a book of metaphors. Sure, yeah. Well, and, and so, like, have you, I mean, again, uh, you grew up in Australia, obviously, mm-hmm. so the culture is different. Did you feel backlash from that? Um, because, like, in America, for example, uh, even when I was, I mean, as early as 18, I remember my mom would throw holy water on me because I was wearing all black with my friends and we were into the misfits, <laughs> you know. Um, but you, you outright are an openly a Satanist. And I don't know culturally if, you know, the, the sort of the Christianity mandate carries in the same manner. But was there, like in Australia, is that as controversial as it would be here in America? Uh, not not in the same way so australia is not a religious country in the slightest um i would say close to 80 or 90 percent um of people would be atheists Hmm. um if they're not atheists they believe in something but don't know what it is like it's not a heavily like christian or catholic country um so in America, where you might receive backlash being a Satanist, they're like, oh, you're devil worshiper. It's like, lol jokes, don't believe in the devil, but whatever. Um, in Australia, it would be more like, that's dumb. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then like, they move on. To and like... then move on. It's like, whatever, cool, bro. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, but the amount of people that I know that have, like, a Baphomet tattoo or, like, a pentagram tattoo or, you know, the goat's head tattoo or fucking whatever, like, in, in the group of people that I hang with, like the metal community, it's more widely accepted. But the gen, you know, the general consensus would be, that's dumb. Sure. Well, and, and, like... <laughs> and one thing that was shocking to me is how sort of anti-tattoos Australia is. And it's not because of a religious moral majority. It's because you have a, an issue with bikies. Yeah, at one point. I mean, it's a lot of places are pretty accepting of tattoos now. But there was... A time not that long ago, like only a few years ago, where uh, liquor stores, for example, could refuse service to people with tattoos if they ble- believed that you were affiliated. Wow. Which is hilarious because my sleeves are anime. <laughs> I have a bean dog on my arm. I've got a zombie Hello Kitty, so I don't know what the fuck bikey gang I'm in. The zombie, <laughs> the zombie kitties, obviously. Oh, which also sounds like a, a sweet new metal band. <laughs> so I want to, I want to just quickly get through some of the things that you've done because i i am always marveling at what an interesting life you've lived you have not only not only are you an, a, a working inspiring screenwriter mm. uh, not only do you manage a twitch channel coffee and coffee mm. tv but prior to that and, not, and i'm not even a counter day jobs working at music stores or, but you've also been in bands mm-hmm. 
You have also done uh, fire spinning mm -hmm. of sorts. I don't understand it, but you probably <laughs> give me some color on that. And roller derby. Yeah. That's a very active lifestyle. Yeah. So the, to me, there's a certain kind of personality that someone has when what I just call the adventurous spirit. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're a live, laugh, love person, it's like the wonderlust. <laughs> um, that sort of can't allow yourself to settle. You have to be doing something, and it generally has to be something a little left of center. So what was like the, what, what was your sort of loose biography? Like what got you inspired to do roller derby and fire spinning and those really physical activities before you, and, and, and playing in bands before you sort of transitioned into more um, filming, film and, and media content? Um, I just like to try stuff. Like, and that doesn't inherently say that I'm good at any of these oh, things. Oh, don't be, don't be humble. You're um, really good at this. <laughs> but like, you know, my my stepbrother uh, runs a fire spinning troupe uh, called Fire Tricks. Uh, and when that sort of was in its first incantation, he's like, oh, do you want to learn fire spinning? I was like, uh, yeah, I'll try it. And through many burns <laughs> uh, and singed hair um, and things like that, you know, I, I learned to do, you know, a you know semi decent level of, of you know jewel staves and poi and fire hoop and stuff like that and that was fun for a long long time and then I found roller derby and I couldn't do both I was also in a band at the same time and I sort of had to choose between band fire spinning and roller derby so the band took a back seat for a little while because that was more like we get drunk and play music um, Sounds excellent. And I was like, I need to do some exercise. I want more exercise things. I'm going to do fire spinning and roller derby. And then fire spinning sort of took a back seat and I focused on the roller derby because um, one of my friends was doing it. And I didn't even know how to skate at all. Like, I'd never put on a pair of roller skates before. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I did. Um, and I did that for a few years. And I kind of got bored with that. And then I sort of jumped back into like some songwriting stuff. And then that didn't really go anywhere. And I was like, well, this is not going anywhere. I'll move on to other things i think i like ventured into photography for a while like amateur photography and then i wanted to do travel blogs and i did like a lot of traveling and all my money got spent on traveling like that's where everything went like i went overseas once a year every year for like six or seven years um and that's sort of where all my money went and every aspiration i had was i'm gonna go overseas i need to see a new country i'm gonna go you know see somewhere different and see the world and then I sort of went back into more writing and stuff like that and then nothing for a while. I was sort of focused on like my work and and all that sort of stuff and then I got back into my writing and then everything sort of come full circle and here we are. Does <laughs> does your sort of philosophy of being your own god or being your own master lend itself to being willing to take some chances and like like I mean, roller derby is no joke. You know, it's very big in Texas. Mm. I grew up watching it. And to, to attempt something like that with no background in skating, it's not like you were, uh, you skated prior, mm. you know, like you said, you've never been put on roller skates before or fire spinning, you know, just to sort of jump into that is, does that play a role in it all? Or is it just like, I'm bored or here's something to do? Um, well, I mean, things aren't going to happen unless you make them happen. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like things don't happen to you in that regard. Like you need to go and seek out artistic ventures or you know athletic ventures or things like that and try new things because if you're not if you don't try new things you're never going to evolve as a person like i wouldn't want to be the same person that i was 15 years ago 
Like, and without trying all of those new things, like, I wouldn't be where I am now. Like, if I, like, if I'd never started bands, I mean, we may not have ever met, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, sure. um, you know, so for things to progress, you definitely need to do things. Like, I'll always say to people, like, if I have any advice to give anybody, it's like, leave your fucking hometown. Go and see another country. Go somewhere where you don't speak the language. Going somewhere where you don't speak the language is humbling as fuck. Mm. Like... Because you think in your little bubble at home, like, I know everything about everything, like, you know, I'm, I'm settled, I'm comfortable, like, and you go somewhere where you don't know the currency, you don't know the language, you don't know where you are, you don't even know how to, you know, get a bus, like, that's, that takes you down a peg, you know, like. No, absolutely, and I think it speaks to a larger, a larger theme of, of getting outside of your comfort level. Yeah. And, and I, and obviously, yes, traveling physically is, is, if you have the means, is, one of the best ways to do that. But I think, I mean, again, I don't know if this is so much the case in Australia, but I'm sure you've observed it since you've been living in the States and in in the last three and a half years that you and I have been uh, involved with each other. But it feels like in America, especially as it relates to people online, that we're we're doing the opposite of what you're trying to give advice to do. Mm -hmm. Whereas instead of instead of ex- opening our experiences and opening our palates to new tastes and opinions, that we just silo ourselves around people who only think like us, but right. also but also um, reinforced preconceived notions, right? Like, I'm not, like, like I'm not advocating for... Uh, uh, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows I am very liberal with that block button. If you talk shit about Pepsi, I will block you. <laughs> Okay, I, it doesn't take much. I don't and need if, that negativity in my I life. I don't need that negativity, and I haven't had coffee in two weeks, so like you already took Pepsi, Pepsi Crystal from me. Yeah. Don't even start. <laughs> yeah, but but what I find because I agree with you 100. percent I mean, obviously we, we see eye to eye on a great number of things before mm. we're married, but I, I I see more and more a younger generation, not to be old man yelling at the clouds, but I see a younger generation focus solely on just siloing oneself with people who just echo back to you what you already think that w- which is a thought that is generally developed in a vacuum mm-hmm. of evidence or reason or logic or conflicting ideas and then with that sort of is bred this this arrogance and um conceit that you've got it figured out right because your parrots are parroting back to you mm. and what you're saying is you should do the opposite yeah, you should get humbled, get proven incorrect, like get challenged. Like you're not, if you stay in your hometown and you just hang around with the same homies that all think exactly the same way as you and talk exactly the same way as you, you're never going to develop as a person. Like, and that's like where, like I remember I was having a conversation with someone once about college in America and I thought it was like, so like crazy it's like all these kids like they leave high school and they go like completely different side of the country to go to college i think that's awesome sure yeah you should like so you should can you imagine living in somewhere like alabama and then you go not talking shit about alabama but it's a very different lifestyle to if you went to school in new york like one of the things i'm really proud about my sister amira for is that she left san antonio and went to drexel which is one of the most prestigious schools for design Mm -hmm. in philadelphia yeah um and and she really developed. I mean, I just saw her a couple of weeks ago, and she's developed her craft in an amazing way. She's this great graphic designer, and um, and and when I was talking to her and her husband, they're already making plans. I mean, they're back in San Antonio now. She's obviously since graduated and gotten a job, but they're already making plans to, to leave again. Yeah. Because she's outgrown that that environment, 
And right. then, again, no negativity towards it. It's just sometimes you yeah. just, it's just like a relationship, right? Where you live is no different than a person. And yeah. sometimes you just move in different directions. Yeah, and I think even you can get like that big fish in a little pond sort of syndrome. Like you You've know, been on Twitter, have you? <laughs> I don't use Twitter very often. I mean, I use it for like, you know, the memeology. I'm a memeologist. <laughs> I once got 22 likes on a meme, so I think you should talk to me with a little bit of respect. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, I've, I've witnessed it so many times, like back home where people will get like, it's like, I'm sure you've seen it in like bands in like Texas. Like they're pretty big in Texas. Oh yeah. Right? We were very big in Corpus. Right, but so, <laughs> We opened for Darkest Hour. We were so cool. Like, I yeah. got recognized once at a hockey game. <laughs> but like you were big in Texas. Oh, Texas no, 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 no. Let me, I gotta be clear about that. We weren't big in Texas. We were big in Corpus Christi. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> you like, were... you, if you went to the, if you went to you know outside of the city limits, no one knew who the hell we were. <laughs> so okay, so you were big in in Corpus Christi, but Corpus Christi is very small. And then once you escape into the real world and you break free of that, you're like, fuck, like that's humbling. Like when you realize that when you thought you were this big thing in your hometown, there's a whole other fucking world out there that doesn't know you exist. Like that you don't know exists that you've never experienced it's like huge like you even saw how much of a culture shock it was for you to go from here to australia yeah and, and it's not that huge a culture shock but it's it's enough <laughs> it's enough. and noticeable even just like talking to people is different way than better. here way, better. <laughs> way, way more better no one's talking about politics yeah is that interesting to you shit. is that interesting so you you come from a country where people are kind of just doing their own thing mm-hmm. and it, it feels like, again, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but it does generally feel like people are just like, do do what you want, do what you're, do your thing, I'll do my thing. Let's just not fuck with each other. We're good to go. Yep. And then you come here, and it's you know it's quite the opposite. What was that culture shock like for you? It's strange. I want like for lack of a oh, for lack of a better term, in some ways, it feels more adult but not in the way that you think. Like, like at, at back home, we would sit down and have a barbecue yeah. outside. The barbie? Um, the barbie. Put a shrimp on the bar, on the low shrimp, but anyway. And you're um, vegan. And I'm vegan. <laughs> so. um, but like, you know, you have a barbecue and everyone would just sit down and chill and relax and talk about bands and have drinks and like have a good old time. But here, you go to like a barbecue and everyone's talking about politics and the state of the world and you're just like man this is supposed to be chill time like there is a saying back home where it's like if you're at the dinner table you do not talk about religion or politics you just don't like just don't it's like fucking rude and don't do it because we're here to have fun and mingle with people not talk about that shit not to mention that back home like they just like vote politicians out if they don't like them so it's like and in America, you're just like, oh, you're a failed millionaire and a reality TV star. Please run our country. Well, it's, it's <laughs> strange. It's a strange dichotomy. It's a, a bit of a juxtaposition because America really preaches and ingrains in you rugged individualism. It's all about what you want to do, what you can accomplish, how far you can get ahead, uh, no matter who's behind you, no matter who you mm-hmm. step on. And in um, and what that bleeds, but what that's bled to is increase in tribalism as i mentioned earlier Mm. people want to do as they want to do but they want to surround themselves with people who also want to do that same thing or at least really spend all their time validating that instead of challenging that it's almost like um 
I'm just trying to think of like a, an analogy of it, but it, it really is sort of, it's, it's tribalism. It's like a team sport, yeah. right? Which is interesting because it seems to be, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but like it seems to be in America, there's like such a push that you are an individual person, you know, all this sort of stuff, but it's you only choose to surround yourself with people that are exactly the same as you, which would make you not an individual person. You're part of a pack. Like you're all the same person. Well, because because the the reality of rugged individualism is that it, it's a sort of a facade, right? What is mm. what is actually being taught is you don't need anything else, anyone else. You don't need anybody else, but you need these things on Amazon, on H and M, on mm. Macy's, on whatever name your store. You need these things so that you can be happy, right? But so there's an internal conflict within us where we want our own things with no repercussion, but we also are are by nature, I think, social social creatures oh, yeah. and so the so the best amalgamation of those two things is to just isolate yourself with people who just bobblehead everything you say and especially for those people who become cult personalities mm. it's very easy to find i mean people in america are very happy to give up leadership to anyone right failed failed reality star hey He's echoing what I want to hear, so I'm going to just give all authority to them, right? Right. Uh, I have this false fabricated idea that the police are here to serve me. I'm just going to give all, or the judicial system, the, I'm just going to give all of my faith to this person, and I'm going to, I'm going to very uh, obediently and mm. blindly march in step with whatever cause they set in front of me because it mm. provides some sense of accomplishment and a false sense of community. But it's really imprisonment in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's it's odd to me too because America, in relation to Australia, America is a very old country. Like, how old is Australia? Uh, Australia was founded in 1901. Really? Wow! I did not know that. The nation Australia was formed in 1901 by an amalgamated group of British colonies on the land at the time. So it's only like 120 years old. Yeah, that's so, wild. That's like a that's a, a couple of generations, really. Yeah, so you think about like how young Australia is compared to America, but it's it's strange in which both countries are more progressive than each other. Like America, like in a lot of states, in America, you can, for example, go to a store and buy marijuana. Now, in Australia, it's fucking illegal everywhere except for where all the politicians live in that. In that um, city, it's um, it's decriminalized. Oh, yeah. Um, and you can have, like, two plants for personal use or whatever. But for the rest of the country, get fucked. You can't have weed. You can't even get CBD. Wow. I think, actually, that's a lie. I think they've just introduced medicinal-only um, CBD and marijuana use. But I think you've got to be extremely ill to be able to get it. But um, America is very forward in that way. And you can, in some states in America, you can buy, like, psilocybin chocolates which i've only just found out the other day which is absolutely insane um and you can get like um ketamine therapy and things like that but you all don't have health care and you get paid seven dollars <laughs> an hour yeah. like your idea of freedom is extremely different to australia like yeah you all have guns but your kids are killing each other like australia hasn't been able to own automatic or semi-automatic weapons since like 1994 Right. Like, yeah. it's like what, like, you have certain freedoms, but at what cost? Like, do you all need guns? Really? Yeah, and again, it's because we've, we've corrupted and we've perverted the definitions of what something like a freedom 
would mean, right? Yeah, freedom like to what me. is a freedom? Yeah, freedom <laughs> to me and freedom as I grew up understanding is the right to pursue happiness. Yes. And if you're homeless or you have you're you're driven into bankruptcy because of your medical bills, thank goodness I have insurance mm. right now. Um, well, just as an example, I will use that in his example. So we received the bill for his surgery. And before insurance stepped in, because it shows you how much it is before insurance, yeah. it was nearly $12,000. Like in Australia, you would not pay. Like I had to have cancer surgery. I didn't pay anything for that. My mom had chemo. She didn't pay for that. She had a hysterectomy after a chemotherapy and didn't pay for that either. Like, you know, it's absolutely insane to me that it's like a basic human right. It just doesn't exist in America. But you all have freedom. Right. I mean, look, I mean, I have very good insurance. Shout out to the DGA's producer insurance. But um, I started to pay like 500 bucks before they did my kidney surgery. Yeah, even that. So you have insurance that you already pay for, but then you still had to pay an out-of-pocket expense. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, in Australia, you can go to certain doctors and pay to see them, but you get paid back from the government. So I don't see what's the point of you having to pay them. But anyway, um, but you do pay that back. And if you do have to have like elective surgeries, like for example, I had my wisdom teeth taken out. Like with insurance, you can go into like private hospital and have it sure, all taken yeah. care of there. Or if you want to go in the public system, you have to pay because te- dental is not covered. But if you've got insurance, you get treated better essentially. But, you know, and then in America, like medications like cheap, uh, expensive rather than Australia. It's very, very cheap. Like for me to buy without any insurances in Australia, my asthma inhaler, it's $14. In America, that same inhaler is like eighty dollars without right. insurance. Like, what the fuck? So I, I've often—it's ridiculous. It's absurd. But I've often wondered, and and, and maybe in, in many respects, that's sort of the the reason I started this talk, this particular podcast. Other than you know, hopefully being able to amplify some some amazing stories of people whom I know, is that it feels like America, in particular, and maybe the world in large needs a cultural shift Mm. if we're going to survive if we're going to make it to maybe even at the end of our ages the way things are progressing because prior to 2001 prior to 9-11 america was a very different place um when i was growing up it was a very different world than it is now as i'm a middle-aged person but i i and i've often felt like something has to guide us because we're the position that we're in right now where everyone's just into different banners, into different causes, many of which are, are have been even if they started from good places, they get corrupted very quickly. Um, we've seen you know numbers, numerous instances where charities are set up and then they immediately don't um, they become you know, bloated and you know every, all the administrators are being paid and all that jazz. As an outsider, as someone who's really only lived here for mm. a few months and and um, you know only really been involved. Deep, more deeply in American culture for the last handful of years, what, from a cultural perspective, can we do? And and does, do you feel like in any way Satanism or other occult philosophies or maybe just other philosophies in general that we haven't even talked about can play a role in that? Or is it really just, and I guess I'll just leave the question to you, like what is it that you feel like culturally we need to do to get out of this downward spiral that we, at least from my perspective, seem to be swirling faster and faster the further we go down. Shut the fuck up and pay attention and listen. Because I find that there is like this huge culture of yelling opinion when you don't actually know what you're talking about. 
you, there is a huge culture in looking down on people here, which is very yeah. strange. Like, you look down that homeless man on the street, it's not his fucking fault, man. Like, you've got, I think it was 111,000 vacant homes in Los Angeles. Wow. And we've got, and I think there's like 40,000 homeless people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, everyone here is very opinionated on their high horse about a lot of things. Like, what really we should be listening, and, and the government especially, listening to people and people's experience. Because it's it's funny, because the same people that are running this government, running it into the ground, quite frankly, um, are the same people that, like, went to Woodstock. Well, it's of that generation. Of that generation, yeah. right? So you've had this whole... And, and, and I'm noticing as well, it's funny, because with that sort of backflip, you've got now the new liberals... Who have they think they're liberal, <laughs> yeah, but they're extremely conservative, like slut shaming people and saying that you know a fetus is alive, like has a fucking you know all these like anti-abortion like fetuses are alive, but you know what I mean they're not a person. Sure, yet. yeah. Um, so I I don't know. It's it's very strange. You can see it on surface level a lot of a lot of problems, but I think people need to start listening to each other like actually not not like hearing people like listening to them properly and i think if you listen to the experiences of other people and things like that the country is going to go a lot further because this country is built on i know best i know what i'm talking about like with i mean this fucking pandemic is proof in that it's like i know more than a scientist because i read something on facebook from fucking joe bob that fucking has never left his hometown and went to school of hard knocks and is a stay-at-home fucking, I don't know, <laughs> not doing anything with his life. Like, it's, 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 it's an interesting, interesting thing for me. Right. Well, and I, I would add to that. I think beyond listening, uh, which we desperately need more of, it's compassion. Yes. And um, I think, you know, I, I've always held this. Part of, I, I haven't looked up studies. I guess I could to see what the the percentage of Americans on social media versus other parts of the world. But I, I feel like um, one of the things that would help us listen to mm. your point and, and help us be compassionate is understanding that we're one. Right. That we're connected. Yes. Now, if, if, if uh, spirituality is not your bag, you know, that's cool. I'm not trying to say that. But what I am trying to say is that even if you remove the spiritual aspect of it, surely one should understand that you're part of a greater cause, right. a greater community, and not like the way it's used on Instagram, where it's a loose or Twitter, it's the loose collection of people who have a loose connection of interest, but like a genuine, genuine community that is rooted in respect and love and compassion and understanding. When you recognize that you're part of that, when you're born into that, mm. and it's it's only on you if you choose to reject it. Yeah. Then I think it's a lot harder. And, and it's, let me put it this way, it's much easier online to ignore that aspect. Right. But when you're face-to-face to, with someone, when you're, when you're in the position where, they're, where you're actually sharing a space, that it's very difficult to have the same level of disrespect and closed-mindedness. Not impossible, certainly. We see it on the news all the time. Mm. But it seems more difficult than to, to, to create that wall, that fabricated wall, than it would be, than it is online, right? I think if we could mm. get more people to face-to-face... 
and right. and not immediately assume that because you voted for this person or that person or because you like this influencer or that influencer or whatever it may be because you like this sports team or that sports team that if we got all that bullshit aside and we just looked at each other as we're humans we live in the human world right. as a certain species and we only have each other because certainly I don't I wouldn't blame anyone in the animal kingdom for wishing a shook of this mortal coil. I mean, we've done <laughs> a lot of damage. You know, yeah. So really we only have ourselves to lean on. And I right. think that if we could introduce that further into our world instead of simply approaching it from the perspective of, of personal gain, you know, greed is good, mm. then I do think that understanding that listening would open up and then we could actually share cultures with one another and share experiences and and elevate our larger community as a whole. Yeah. I think there's like a very big difference. I think we've had this conversation before as well. Like there is a very big difference between being right and doing right and slacktivism and activism. And I think that has sort of gotten muddied up in the world of social media as well because like you can share a link about something. It's like, oh, these all these homeless people. Oh, it's terrible. They're like, it's not doing shit. Like, go out and help and do something. Like, it's like this whole trend that started now where people give people homeless people money, but they film it. Oh, this I poor hate guy's it. just a fucking dude in the street down in his luck. Don't fucking stick a camera in his face and shove fucking two dollars into his hand. Like, wow, you're a fucking hero. Like, good for you. Now, there are some people that do some really good work. There is a lady I follow on TikTok where she goes down, she goes to Costco and buys water and food and medical supplies and, like, sanitary items and all that sort of stuff. And she goes down to Skid Row and does hand out a lot of stuff. Like, that's one thing. Sure, because you're using the platform for awareness, not right. for personal talent. Not for, like, look at me. Like, there's one guy on TikTok that, like, goes around and he, like will, I don't know, he'll give homeless people pairs of shoes or money or like, but like they don't want their, a camera stuck in their fucking face. Like you're using someone else's downfalls for clicks and likes. Yeah. Like that's fucking skullduggery. Like that is woeful. Well, I, like, I think it's a practice learned by the media because as we can see, yeah. the, the media loves to tear people down. Yeah. And then um, as a byproduct of that, those of us who live in the world of social media, yeah. we oftentimes we'll find validation by tearing other people down. It's bullying behavior. Mm -hmm. um, but, but because we have such a lack of proper pride, you know, things mm -hmm. that we can be excited about or, or, or appreciative about, yeah. we just look to tear everyone else down um, like a Kurt Vonnegut novel yeah. until we're able to feel somewhat momentarily better about yeah. ourselves. It's, it's like that scene on, um, I was going to say DayZ, but that's a video game, on... Um, What's that zombie movie with Brad Pitt in it? World War Z. Yeah, World War Z. Which is not nearly as good as the book. <laughs> no, it's not even the same as the book. <laughs> um, but you know that scene where all the zombies are climbing up on top of each yeah. other? It's exactly the same as that, but like human people. Like, I remember my sister used to work at like a, it's a place called Nando's. It's, I don't know if you have them here. Like a chicken store. I was going to say, what it sounds like is like a store of like buff grandmas. Like <laughs> Nando. Nando. Like Commando <laughs> and Nans. <laughs> That sounds like a movie plot. <laughs> I'm fucking registering that. Um, but like she used to work at this chicken store, and every single day she would take all their leftover chicken, and she'd walk the same route to go to the train station, and there were these homeless people that sit there, and she'd give it to them. And there was one lady that like had no teeth, and she would sit there and cut it up for her oh, so man, that she so could nice. eat it. 
But not once did she fucking film it. And not once has she ever posted it on Facebook. Because it was just something nice that she used to do for these people. Because she's like, why would I throw all this chicken away when there's like 20 homeless people that sit along here near the train station begging for money? Like, and they, a lot of them don't ask for money. They ask for food. Yeah. Like, and she would bring them like, you know, like leftover like potatoes or like mashed potatoes and gravy or like chicken or bread rolls or whatever. Because they just chuck that in the bin. Like... But not once did she try and chase clout for it. It was just something she wanted to do good for, like, her fellow... I mean, she's a nurse now, so she's obviously got that kind of, you know, spirit. But, you know, like, what is stopping people from doing good... Like, why do you have to get clout for doing good things? Like, that's... You know, it's just, it's exactly the same as, like, a lot of people that do believe in, like, you know, Christian religion. They're good people to get into heaven. Like, if heaven is real and that's a real thing that occurs, you're not going to get into heaven because you followed religion to get into heaven. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. It's exactly the same as, like, doing Twitch because you want to get famous. Right. Like, you're not going to get famous because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Right. And even if you do, it's uh, it may not be all that it's cracked up to be. Yeah. Based on my experience interacting and dealing with actual celebrities <laughs> you know uh it's it's a uh, fuck I, I again i can't possibly think of something i i find less tasteful or enticing than fame and yeah. i think that um you let me look again to, i won't quote the bible maybe i'll do it in the outro but there's a, a very famous parable about jesus and some pharisees in in the synagogue where he starts flipping tables and whipping some ass yeah and it wasn't by accident it's because Good deeds do not need to be broadcast. I'm not saying you can't if the goal is to Race encourage. Yeah, because or... there's a there's a, 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 a charity that I donate to, I've been donating for years called Hope for Paws, that will often show this young man, or he's an old man now, but this gentleman uh, saving dogs in Los Angeles, mm. um, pets and what have you, and often in very dire situations. And they put out those videos because they have a platform that they're able to then raise awareness, which then allows them to raise the resources right. that they need to continue to do their great works. But great works do not need to, and in fact, oftentimes, will be better served not in the public eye. Exactly. I I think you've really tapped into something, and I think it's a great way to sort of bring this conversation to an end, which is that as as, as an outsider who has the ability to be somewhat objective to the way our culture is operating within Mm. America in particular, is that putting your ego in front of your actions is not going to create the kind of environment that you proclaim to want. Right, exactly. You know, put your ego in a backseat. Humble, be humble, or be humbled, right? Because if you don't humble yourself, the world will humble you exactly. for you. And it'll probably be a lot worse. I think we've sort of honed in on something that I think is a really important takeaway, which is that we need to focus on making our world and our environment better and more free and more more actual community. And for me personally, I believe, and I think we're kind of echoing the same thing, that starts with you got to free your mind instead. Mm-hmm. You got to free yourself of all the chains of generations of capitalism and yeah. rugged individualism that has been ingrained in your system into into your wiring. Mm-hmm. You need to remove that. You need to free yourself of that so that you can actually do well by the world without it being a result of what your ego needs. Because right. if you're only feeding your ego, it will at some point fail you. Right. It'll bring your own destruction. And I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and and this was uh, this was solely based on a some relationship problems she was having, but I think it does apply to like a lot of areas of life, right? And we were talking about how she constantly broadcasts bad things that happen to her um, on Facebook on the daily, like daily, 
okay? And we were talking about this particular ship issue that she has, and I sort of rounded up my advice for her by saying, just be careful about how you identify yourself and things in your life that you identify yourself by. Because once you start identifying yourself by negative things and bad things that have happened to you, you become the oppressor. That's you. That's on you. You need to start identifying and presenting yourself from the good things that you are. You know what I'm saying? Because you need to, the only consistent factor in your life is you, is yourself. So you need to build that better life for yourself because no one's going to do that for you. That's on you. Don't be the oppressor. Be the person that brings yourself up and makes your life better. I agree wholeheartedly. Wise words. Ava Santana. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining the show, my love. I, I always you. appreciate your perspective. I'm very fortunate that I get to listen to you all day long, every day. But <laughs> now sorry. the rest of the No, I love it. <laughs> Legitimately. Um, and, and now the rest of the world gets to hopefully hear how amazing and how wise and introspective you are. I think I think hopefully people take this to heart. I know I've gotten feedback before that the podcast has sort of reached people. So uh, thank you for everything that you are and everything that you've done. Yeah. I wish prosperity on you. Ow, my heart. Ow. <laughs> and, and for everyone else who is listening, thank you once again for listening to this podcast. I know you have... Lots of options when it comes to listening to things. And everyone's got a podcast, which I think is rad. But I appreciate anyone who spends a little time with us. Thank you all. May you all find prosperity. And until next time, gold rings on you all.